us grow, and specifically help us grow teaching us how to love each other, that we would see this affect the ability to have joy in our life. We have joy when we learn to love one another. We change the way we think about others. God changes our heart. We're able to walk in love, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. He told us later on, chapter 1, to rejoice in the Lord. And we think about all the things that are outside of our control, right? And we prayed about some of them earlier, and some of us are walking through them right now. How do we rejoice in our circumstances, in the struggles we have? How do we find joy in those areas? Well, he told us three things last time. Again, we talked about first, recognize that God's in control. That the Lord is sovereign, that he's working in our life. And then recognize that God uses all circumstances to let the gospel go forward in our life. And sometimes what happens to us happens so that someone else might get a chance to see the gospel function in someone's life. I am always think, when I think about that, I always think back to the children of Israel leaving Egypt. I mean, God could have took them to Mount Sinai really easily. But he took them to Pihahiroth and Migdol, which almost literally means between a rock and a hard place, with their back against the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army chasing them. And he said, hey, well, let's just park here for a while. And Pharaoh said, what a bunch of idiots. They're sitting here in the middle. They get, they're, they're stuck. We own them. But Pharaoh didn't know the rest of the story, right? You know that the scripture says God did that so that he could show himself mighty to save to the Egyptians. See, through their circumstance, God was glorified. And oftentimes in the things we go through, how do I rejoice even though my circumstances are a drag? Well, I don't rejoice in my circumstances. I, I rejoice in the Lord. I acknowledge that He is sovereign. He's in control. And He uses all things, right, to make the good news, the gospel, the good news of what God's done go forward. And then the last thing we talked about last week, the point we landed on was that Jesus is the meaning of life for, to me, to live is Christ. A lot of times, we, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but the point for a believer is that he's the meaning. He's what gives purpose to life. You, you can chase anything you want. I've chased it all. You chase anything you want. You go after... Money, sex, power, drugs, rock and roll, I don't care what you chase. You get to the end of all that chasing and you will say, I have not found the meaning of life. I have not found the purpose. I don't understand why I'm here. And a lot of times people will, will fall. Either, typically what happens is they, they fall into what's called narcissism. Everybody know what that is? Narcissism is when we think about self, and that's pretty much all we think about, me. A narcissism will lead to nihilism. Nihilism means that life is without meaning, that life is empty. And really, that seems to be the, the place where many in our culture find themselves. But then we look at verse 21 in Philippians chapter 1, and we're, we're reminded, at least this kind of jumps out to me, to live and die in Christ. This is what Paul's talking about. 
He's building on the idea that Jesus is the meaning of life. That if we're going to learn to rejoice, to experience joy, to change our mind, then we have to realize that the meaning of life is not how much, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? What's he win? The biggest debt that he can hand to his kids? I don't know. I don't know. We, we can amass a lot of stuff. Jesus even told the story, you remember? He said a rich man had many things. And he went out one day and he said, you know what, I, mean, I need to tear down these barns and build bigger ones. and won't hold all my stuff. And I'll bring in one more really big harvest. One more really big harvest and I'll fill all these barns and finally I'll be at the place where I can take my ease. And Jesus said, Thou fool, I like how the King James says it. Today your soul is required of you. And whose will all those things be? You made a life out of amassing things. And what was the purpose of your life? And we talked a little bit about it. Westminster Confession, I like what John Piper does with it. He says the... Meaning of life is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. I like that. The meaning of life is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. To live and die in Christ. And this is Paul's point. So we come to this this section in verse 21 and we have this question. Which is better? Live in Christ or die? What is better for us? And, and so in verse 21, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. And if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Paul faced both. He's in prison. He knows at some point he's going to stand before Caesar. And when he stands before Caesar, he can get a thumbs up or a thumbs down, right? I mean, Caesar either has a bad day that day and says, off with your head. Yeah? That Caesar was Nero. You guys heard stories about him, right? So, you know, I don't know. know. Paul's like, I don't know how that's going to go, but I'm not worried about either way. Because whether I live or die, it is about Christ. So when I think about the question, which is better, to live or to die, then it brings about another question to me. Am I even able to know? Can I tell? Paul says, which is better? I I can't tell. I can't tell which is better. Do we have all the pieces of the puzzle? Do we understand how all the facts come together? As a pastor, I talk to a lot of people who are absolutely certain but do not have the truth. Well, they're certain of this or they're certain of that. And most often what occurs is they trade the truth for certainty. Do I know? Can I really know? Do you have all the pieces? Do we ever have all the... You ever try to watch the news and figure out what's going on? Do you know who's lying to you? Yeah, that's that's the closest thing to the truth I've heard yet. Everybody. Yeah, they're all lying to me. Everybody's got their spin. Everybody has their perception, right? And they'll teach that perception as absolute truth. And, you know, that which all leads into 
another tangled web we weave. But when we look at these things, when I'm asking myself, which is better, to live or to die? To die and be with Christ or to live and, and be with you? And, and the thing that really drove Paul's um, struggle with it was what, what he's going to say in a moment, but his desire. You see, if we don't struggle in that answer, which is better? then we're missing one or the other of the important things that Paul understood. That living for Christ is the meaning of life, and being with Christ, there's no better desire. That's why it strained him. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Yes, we know that. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Would you? So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And we, the Bible, Paul would often say things, and, and at least for myself, it was, it was a good um, heart check. Do you really want to see Jesus that much? More than you want to see your grandkids get married. Or your children. Or whatever things, whatever joys life holds. Those are all good things. There's nothing wrong with them. The question is, <clears throat> where's my heart? Where's, what is my heart focused on? Because here's the, here's the reality. Uh, if my heart is focused on earthly things, then I won't live for Christ either. If my heart is focused on all the good blessings that God gives, and praise God, that's all, it's all good. All those things are good things. and None of them are in and of themselves evil. But if the heart, my heart's desire is something else, Whatever, whatever other good thing other than the Lord, then neither will I live for Christ. But if I'm longing for Him, if He takes that place, that position, that desire, which, which was the whole impetus behind uh, John Piper writing a book called Desiring God. Learning to hunger for Him. Learning to want God. To, to want Him. We... We, we have lots of tangible things I can put my hands on and my heart to, can touch and, and all this. And, and again, it's not bad things. Those are good things that God's given. If we don't desire God, then we might not know Him. We might not have roots down in Him. You know, you ever met somebody who maybe knows someone that you know, but their opinion of that person is radically different than yours? Let's say, you know, you, you know that person to be kind and loving and caring, and this other person says, man, 
that, that person is the biggest butthead I ever met in my life. Did he just say that in church? Yeah, it happens. You guys say it at home and worse, so I don't want to hear about it. Notes, take your email and just put it back. Don't send it. So, but you ever talk to somebody like that and you, and you wonder, right? One of two things is true. Either I don't know them or you don't. Right? But if we really know the Lord, if you really know the Lord, then there, there's that desire, right, that comes for him. A desire for him. And Paul has that. He has this. He says, I don't, I don't know and I don't understand all the events of my life, but I choose God and I, and I love him. And he says the same things, just like the song we just sang. He says the same things Job said. Job, who, who was frustrated with God and didn't understand why things were happening in his life and didn't understand why his life took all the turns that it took. He didn't understand any of it, but he, in the end, said, I trust you, God. Job said, if I get a chance to talk to God, I'm going to give him what for. And the smartest thing Job did was God showed up. He said, basically, he showed up at the door and said, Job, I heard you want to talk. When Job said, trust you, I don't have nothing to say. Trust you. Because we don't know all the pieces. And if you don't know God, you won't know this desire for him. The desire to live for him and the desire that says, death has no hold on me because I'm not afraid of death. Death is the doorway of the Lord. Death's been defeated. Jesus defeated death. We don't have to be afraid. But if you don't have a desire for the Lord, you'll still have a fear of death. If you don't have a desire for the Lord, you'll live for self. You'll build bigger barns. And no end of the pursuit of whether it's career or it's money or it's power. that We just know that you're filling up a cistern that leaks and it'll never hold the water you put in it. It all just comes running back out. And I need to have this desire. I need to have this thing that is able to say, man, I, I want to see Jesus. It's what Paul's saying. It's my desire to be with him. Look at verse 23. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. Somebody challenged me one time and he asked me, you know, because a lot of, we talk about heaven a lot, even though most of us don't have any idea of what heaven's like or what it's about. Just know most of us are wrong. When we, when we think, right, uh, well, it's, it's clouds and harps and cute little wings and we'll all be fat cherubs flying around. <laughs> we all have these kind of weird, we can get these weird, distorted ideas about heaven, what's, what is heaven. But the challenge that I received was somebody asked me, is there something in heaven you want more than Jesus? You want... Uh, Favorite pets, your mom or dad who went before you, or a brother, or is there something else in heaven that holds greater value for you? 
than Jesus? And that's a good question. Because for Paul, his heart's desire was to be with Jesus. Now, the benefit of being with Jesus is all those other things are still true. Right? All the loved ones that that died in Christ, they're, they're not lost. They're still there. All that is in Christ is still available, but the question is the desire of your heart. Is it for that, that incredible sunset or, or sunrise of, of heaven? Is it for that new heaven and new earth that God will provide? Is it for Jesus to see him, touch him, to know him? Well, here is what Paul says to do in Colossians about it. Okay, I want to have that desire, but I don't know. Sometimes I struggle. Sometimes I struggle between the desires here. I I love my kids, and I love my grandkids, and I love my friends and family, and I want to see good things in their life too. How do I, where do I, how do I feed this desire? How do I feed this desire in my life? Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 says, Set your mind on things above. You ever heard somebody say you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good? Don't ever say that. What in the world are you talking about? (laughs) Paul would disagree. Paul says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ with God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He's saying the same thing. Christ is the meaning of life, and you need to have eyes fixed on the treasure. You need to change your mind. You need to be fixed on the prize, that meaning of life found in the desire for Jesus Christ. You know, you don't have to trade all those other things. All those other good things are still there. You're just not elevating the other good things over the Lord of glory. Over the one that makes all the rest possible. It's impossible, or it is possible for us to get our, our eyes off the prize. So I want to, I want to see Jesus is the meaning of life. Then, and then I need to recognize that I need to have a desire for Him and to be with Him. And if I have a desire for Him and to be with Him, a desire so much that that's the, the goal of life, that I want to be with Christ, then not only will I not be afraid to die, but I'll also be willing to live for him. Let me ask you a question. Let's make it a little simpler. Uh, you're in a relationship, about to get married. So if you're if you're a woman, you're you're in a relationship with a man. If you're a man, you're in a relationship with a woman. I have to say that because these days sometimes those things are confusing. And you're thinking about you're thinking about getting married, and you want to you want to have a and you've been in this relationship. For six years, six years you've been in this relationship and you, you've been, you know, pouring efforts into growth and, 
and seeing, you know, and you're looking forward to the day when you're going to be, you know, unified together in marriage. And so you're, you've got an opportunity to meet this person's best friend. And you're like, wow, cool, you know. It's weird, I haven't met him in six years. But okay, I'm going to meet your best friend. And so you you go and you go to this person's best friend and you sit down and you start talking and it becomes evident to you that this, this man or woman's best friend never even heard a word about you in six years. Let me ask you a question. They love you? You sure? You ever really loved something and not told somebody about it? Come on, some of you sports nut cases. <laughs> I, you can't sit down and, and uh, have a visit over some sun tea without the sports team coming up. How so-and-so is going to do? Oh, how are the... It's, it's a little weird in Idaho because y'all don't have no teams. It's a little weird, but everybody's got their thing, right? Whether baseball or football or basketball, everybody's got their team, and they love their team, and they do what? They talk about it. Well, what about the things you love to do? I mean, you really there's things you really love to do. Isn't there things you love to do? You love to build things or make things or ride things or hunt things, whatever things you really love to do. You ever been six years in a relationship with somebody and never one time talked about the thing you really love to do? Oh, I, I bet you've done that too. You ever had a relationship with somebody and never told them about Jesus? The next question is, you sure you love them? You know them? We get the easy part over with when we say the words. I know that when Kathy and I were were dating, there was nobody I knew who didn't know that I was in love with her. Nobody. You could have called my 14th cousin twice removed <laughs> and they'd have said, yeah, I'm so tired of hearing about that girl. Truth? Should it be different if we say we love the Lord? Should it be different that it always, I, I, I remember a day when people would say, I didn't know you believed in God. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, you go to church? Wow. Yeah. Look. There's no card. There's no nobody's taking attendance and sending it forward to heaven saying, Well, they showed up so many times, it must be a believer. What is our desire? Which is better? To live for Christ, die for Christ. And then you have this idea, Paul, Paul weaves this beautiful thing in it. We've been talking about loving people and, 
and loving God and having this kind of attitude, well, do you really care about people? Because in verse 24, look, he says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He's saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I want to be with Jesus. I'm, I want to go where he is. That's what I want. But it's better for you if I'm here. Is that how you think of other people? Are other people just a pain in the butt? Or when you think about other people, the others, do you think about them? Do you say, man, it's better for you that I'm still here. It's better for you that, that I am still around, that I'm available to receive your phone call, that I can come by and visit you, that I can sit down and have coffee with you. It's better for you. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, just so you can grow. So when you go through your day, your busy day, and you're, and you're, you know, really wanting to express your desire to be with the Lord and, and to love Him and that hunger for God is being expressed at the same time, Paul also is able to say, I love the people. You know, he uses the same language when he talks about Corinth. You guys know about Corinth? Corinth, they were, they were like the problem child. Like if you guys could imagine, you know, let's say you were teaching a Sunday school class and you had one of the Roberts kids in your class. And the, and the, you know, you're thinking to yourself every Sunday when you come to teach, oh, I heard that the flu's going around in school. Maybe they're sick. <laughs> and then one day you show up and you come into class. Sure enough, they're sick and you're a little happy they're not there. Are there people like that? Do you think about? I'm just happy when they don't show up. Or do you have a concern for the people like like Paul did? So so much of a concern that he was was willing to say, "Ah, it's better for me to be here, just so I can be available for you, just so I can encourage you, or just so I can give you a hug or a word of encouragement, or." Or in some small way, maybe be able to, to point you to Christ? Is it, is it, do I recognize that this, this ability to find joy in the Lord hinges on my desire of the Lord? And the ability to find joy in the Lord hinges on my willingness to recognize that I need to be dedicated to help people. And people who need help aren't, it's not always, it won't always fit in your box. Sometimes it'll have to be outside that box. Sometimes it'll be a pain. Sometimes it'll be a hassle. Am I willing to love a people? Remember where we started? This little idea of narcissism. Narcissism thinks of what first? A narcissist is constantly thinking about self. What, what benefits me? And there's a willingness to be dedicated to helping others as long as it benefits me. If I help people, it, look, it, it's sneaky stuff. For example, I, if I help people, I receive something from helping them. I feel good about myself. I'm not saying a narcissist won't do things for people. He will. 
They will, just so that they can be self-gratified. That's why the Word of God challenges over and over again to examine yourself. Look at yourself. Why am I doing what I do? Am I willing to be dedicated to the people, even though the people may be a hassle, even though the people are just like Israel? Right? You ever read the Old Testament and think, well, how in the world could Israel keep messing up over and over and over again? The next time you say that, just stand in front of a mirror when you do it. Say, Lord, I don't understand, or these guys just didn't get it. And sometimes I think the Lord's looking back at me like, yeah, I think sometimes you don't either. (laughs) The Word of God is a mirror. Not a flashlight. It shows me my heart. Shows me my struggles. Shows me the areas that I need to, to be concerned. So I want to recognize Jesus Christ as the meaning of life, my desire. I need to have a desire for God. I need God to pour that desire as I set my mind on things above. But as I set my mind on things above, I also need to realize that God wants me to care about my brother. Now we can all think about a time when somebody didn't care about us, right? He doesn't tell us to worry about that part. He says, worry about a part where you can care for somebody else. Right? Do you get it? I mean, there's lots of times when I think, oh, I I needed this or I needed that. Or I could sure use a word of encouragement. Or, man, it'd be great to, to just have somebody call and ask how you're doing or whatever. All of those things are reminders to me, to find somebody to do that to, right? They're reminders for you. Not to add to the list of complaints about maybe what Jackie did wrong this week. But rather to say, who can I encourage? Who, who can I reach out to? I've had people come up to me and say, Jackie, you know, I came into church, nobody shook my hand. And I always want to say the same thing. Why didn't you shake somebody's hand? There's people everywhere. We give a chance every morning. Every time we come together, right? Hey, greet your neighbor. What a great chance. Just stick your hand out. Somebody will shake it. (laughs) But the point is to look for the, the opportunity to do that for others. Oh, I really needed prayer today. I wish somebody would have prayed with me. Go pray with someone. You know what you'll discover? As you reach out to serve others, God will meet your need at the same time. Because it's not about me. It's about us. It's about us following Him, focused on Him, living for Him. And you'll discover that the outpouring of that will be meeting one another's needs. Because we're able. We're able to love to the uttermost because He is. We're able to meet those needs to the uttermost because God is able to equip us to do so. Well, the next thing we see Paul talk about in verse 27 is his concern for people's spiritual condition. What's going on in their life? 
Look what he says in verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So he's saying, he's saying, I'm dedicated to you and I want to be there for you. You guys need me here, so I want to be there and be a part of this for you. But I also want to challenge you that the way you conduct your life ought to be worthy of equal weight too. That's what worthy means. Like if you were going in the old bartering system, right? And you're trading, I don't know, flour for sugar. And the deal was a pound of, we'll make it easy so I can figure it out. A pound of flour for a pound of sugar, right? And if you weighed it out and one was lighter, you'd want equal portion, right? That's how you trade. Well, the point here he's laying out, Paul's laying out in regard to our conduct He says, let your manner of life be of equal weight with the gospel of Christ. The good news of Jesus. What's the good news of Jesus? That Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, he became incarnate. He he walked in the flesh. He ministered to mankind for three years. He lived a sinless life and became my sin sacrifice. And he who knew no sin became my sin sacrifice so that I could become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ died for my justification, was raised for my sanctification, and was taken to the right hand of the seat of the Father for my glorification. All parts of my salvation, every part of salvation is covered in the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died, rose, and is risen. And because of that I can live. I want my life to look like that. Remember we just talked a minute ago. What if you were in a relationship with somebody for a long time. And you met their best friend and they never heard of you. In that relationship. Is that relationship equal weight with the way you cared for him. Or them or her. Right. You get what I'm saying. The idea that, that our relationship with Christ, the what, 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 the practice what you preach. You heard about that before? Right? So, so as a coach, I met a lot of people, a lot of, I can't tell you how many people come to me and say, coach, man, my son, he's gonna play in the NFL. And if you're good to him, I'll let him play on your team. You might as well keep him. (laughs) We don't want no NFL players here. We just want knuckleheads. I'm willing to believe and bet your son's one of them, though. We can make room for him. But the reality is when when it gets out on the field of life, you can tell what somebody's about, can't you? Just by hanging out, walking with them, talking with them, seeing what's up. Can you tell what somebody's about? Most of the time, you're right, people say all the time, well, don't judge me. Look, man, I I don't don't know what to tell you. I'm, I'm just... I'm just picking up what you're putting down. That's not judgment. This is the picture you're painting. I'm just telling you what it looks like. True or false? Man, if we, we want to have a life, conduct our lives like we are who we say we are. And if we are who we say we are, it goes back that we ought to have a desire to be with God. We ought to have a desire to love Him. We ought to have a desire for God's people. That's who we ought to be. And so when we go around our day and we live out our lives and we make the choices we make, that's the painting we should be painting. 
If what we're painting isn't that, you don't want to know? Because you know, the easiest person to fool is me. I do it every time I walk by a mirror. I'm not that far out. You know what I mean? Fellas. You walk by that mirror and you look at it and you go, a couple weeks. I could get back in shape. Uh, it's, not, it's not unattainable. I mean, I'm, I'm not that far out. Yeah. Brother. Though that ship sailed. And right after it got to the end of the horizon, it sank. There ain't nothing bringing that back. No, not ever. Sometimes the deception we create, it's we're the ones who are most deceived, right? But chances are those people around you know. Oh, we did this thing at church one time where they said, go ask your kids what's the most important thing in your parents' life. You want to know what pictures you're painting as you go about your life? Ask the people close to you the question. Ask them, what's the most important thing to me? But you can't punish them when they tell you. I looked at my kids and I said, what in the world are you talking about? That's not the most important thing to me. Well, what are you painting? You get what I'm saying? Is your conduct of equal weight with the gospel of Christ? As you go through life and you go through through your choices and experiences and work and all that stuff, is that the picture you're painting? Are you painting a picture that you love Jesus and you love God's people so that whether I come see you or in absent, that I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for faith in the gospel. See, this is what he's saying. He's saying, man, whether I'm with you or without, I want to be able to hear that you guys are together, that you're unified, that you care about one another, that you love God and you love people and that's what's flowing through your life. And you know what? When that's happening, you'll be a person who has joy. And when it's not, you won't. And you'll think the reason I don't have joy because of that knucklehead over there. That guy, I seen him the other day, drives like a maniac. He took my parking place. He's had the nerve to sit in my chair at church. I don't know how he doesn't know this is my section. Whatever the things we do, right? These are the, these are the things we want to, we want, he says, I want to hear that you're standing firm in one spirit. So part of the idea of our conduct is that What makes it of equal weight is when we're unified together. What can we be unified in? We can be unified in our love for the Lord. Can't we? And we can be unified in our love for His bride. You know who His bride is? Do you want to know how to get on the bad side of just about every man? Say something bad about his bride. 
That's a good way to get on fellow's bad side. For the mo- most of us, we may say bad things about our bride, but that's us. <laughs> Don't go assuming you have that right. No? Don't you do it? Why do we go around saying bad things about the bride of Christ? I, it always makes me cringe a little. You, you know Jesus loves her, right? Yeah, I guess she's not perfect. Last time I looked in the mirror, I'm not perfect. Last time I saw you, I just want you to know you weren't perfect neither. <laughs> right? But we can be unified in the fact that we care like he cares. We love what he loves, right? He loves his bride, so we want to love his bride, No? Maybe she needs encouraging. Maybe she needs instructing. Maybe she needs teaching. Maybe she needs whatever. Probably what she doesn't need is your gossip. Right? Probably what she needs is just the knowledge that she matters to God. He loved her enough to come across a chasm I can't even begin to fathom. I don't want to mistreat her. I, I want to challenge her, but I don't want to mistreat her. And I want her to know I love her too. Just like he does. We want to be unified in our ability to love one another for what purpose? With one mind, a unified mind, striving side by side for what? For the faith. The faith, it's a definite article. That means for the walk of Christianity, for the essentials of the faith, for the things that unite us all. We're working side by side for the faith of the gospel. Good news. That's all gospel means. The faith, walking in the faith, side by side, encouraging one another. Come on, you can do it. Nothing will destroy a unit more than somebody within the unit who is eroding the unit from the inside out. That person needs to be fragged. Or, that person needs to get saved. That needs to change. We have this thing where we talk about, why is the church not moving in power? Why is the church not experiencing the things that the church needs to be experiencing? And and why aren't these things happening? And we're talking about that while we eat roast church for dinner. I've had a lot of teams, coached a lot of teams that were great teams because they were unified together, one goal. And I coached a lot of teams that should have been great, but weren't, because they weren't unified. They weren't together. So we need to be together. Together by the way we love Christ, and together by the way we love each other. Didn't Jesus say, this is how they'll know you're my disciples? By the way you love one another? Isn't that what he said? Did he say, by the way you talk about each other? By the bad things you say, 
We want to see the church move in power, then the church needs to become unified. How does the church get unified? We have a lot of opinions. Anybody here got more than one opinion? You probably have disagreements with yourself then. Right? Hey, we can sit around and talk about the things that that we have different. What you can't do is not love each other. But I heard that guy didn't vote for Trump. Man, I don't know what to tell you. You don't want to know who I voted for. Look, we, we can laugh about all that stuff. and we want to, we, That doesn't mean we don't want to support what's going on with our president. Okay, don't, don't digress. Don't lose me. Come back. But we need to be together, caring about each other. Even though they have different ideas about how you should deal with the poor. Or what you should do with the needy, what you should do, how you should deal with different issues. We should be able to get unified about one one thing. We love Jesus, right? Yeah, I love Jesus. Right on. And let's get together. And then and then love each other. I care about you. You know I have different ideas than you do. Yeah, I have different ideas than you too, but you know what? I still care about you. I still want your you to be able to walk of equal weight with God. I still want you to be able to be a success for the Lord. I still want you to be able to to see your life blossom the way God wants to see your life blossom. I still want all that for you. Even if you do it different than I would. It's okay. We can be of one mind, striving together for the faith. And then we want to be filled with courage. Verse 28, not be frightened by anything uh, by your opponents. For this is a clear sign to them of their destruction and your salvation and that from God. Don't be afraid of, a, of the world in animosity against you, of the people in animosity against the direction that the church is going. We worry so much about that. We worry so much about that. We worry so much about that that we're no good. We can write songs about all anybody knows is what you're against. I don't think so. I don't think they know. I don't think they understand. Because God's people aren't unified together. God's people aren't unified by their love for God and their love for one another. Don't be afraid that they would do it different. That they don't like what the Bible teaches or what the Word stands for. He says, don't worry about that. Why? Well, that's how you should, they should think. If someone's an unbeliever and they hate you, should not shock you. If someone is an unbeliever and they don't like what you think, that should not make you angry. They should. The problem is if someone is an unbeliever and they think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Then you have to say, wait, what happened there? Maybe they don't know what you believe. Jesus said, student is not greater than the teacher. If they hate me. Isn't that how that's supposed to go? 
If the world comes and says, man, you're doing everything great. You're so much smarter than all the rest of them Christians. I just think you've got it together. You may have to ask yourself, what happened? Well, how'd that happen? What, what happened to the message? The Lord says, look, you don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid of them. They're lost. It's a sign of their destruction and your salvation. There ought to be a difference between the lost and the saved. There ought to be a difference. There ought to be a distinction. I'm not saying they're worse and I'm better by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying I know God's grace and I hope they can come to know God's grace. But the message of God's grace doesn't change so that it becomes more palatable to the lost. We still get saved the same way. I repent. I'm a sinner. Saved by grace. God has interjected So we want to have courage. We want to have boldness. We want to be able to go forward. I'm always reminded in Acts chapter 4, every time people talk about being filled with the Spirit, everybody always wants to talk about the gift of tongues. I like to talk about the gift of boldness because it's out of Acts chapter 4. And it's no less miraculous. You see, the disciples, they get beaten for using Jesus' name. The world doesn't like their message. Why do you come out here and try to impart your message to us? You just stay away from us and do your own thing and we'll do our own thing and everybody will just be fine. That was what they said. We just don't want you to use the name of Jesus. We don't want you trying to convert people to your way of thinking. We don't want you out here on the street corner bothering the people who are trying to go about their life. Just leave them alone. And just to emphasize it, we're going to beat you. There. Now go home. That just straighten them out. So the disciples get back to the prayer meeting and they say, yeah, they told us not to preach in the name of Jesus. And they told us that we, that we can't go out there and we can't be out there and where people see us. And, and we can't be, you know, talking to people and, and engaging with people. We shouldn't be doing any of those things because if we do, they're going to they're gonna beat us some more. Oh, we better pray then. So they prayed. God... Make us bold so we won't chicken out on our witness. Make us bold. You know, in Acts chapter 4, it says the whole room shook. And the wind blew through. And they were filled with boldness. How do you stop a guy that you stone him? He looks like he's dead, so you leave him in the road. You walk back into town, and he gets up and comes back behind you. Still talking. You know you need to know Jesus. He's all mangled. Big old swollen face, busted teeth. But he's still preaching. Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the gift you should be looking for. To be bold for the Lord. To not be afraid of those who who are different than you. He says in verse 30, being engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had. This is what it looks like. 
This is what it looks like. Oh my gosh, it's just so incredible when we look at this thing. Listen, in verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but... Nobody wants to put that on their fridge, do they? It has been granted to you. Not only has it been granted to you, the faith of Christ, that you have a relationship with God. Not only has God, by His grace, given, bestowed salvation, but He's also bestowed this incredible blessing of suffering. He calls that the same kind of gift as salvation. Probably don't think of it that way, do you? But that's how he thinks of it. Because God says, even though you go through hard times and suffering and, and none of it is pleasant, if you love God and love people through it, you're a witness to people you don't even know who are watching you love God, even though. You're a witness through it all, just like Paul. Paul says, look, you guys are engaged in the same thing I'm in. You remember Paul, what's he arrested for? He got arrested because people tried to tear him apart. That's, that is the justice system working perfectly. Right? Oh, I'm out on the street corner telling people about Jesus. And they got mad at me. And so they beat me and tried to rip my arms and legs off. So I got arrested. That's what happened to Paul. And he says to the people of Philippi, he says, hey, you guys are engaged in the same thing. You know. Look, the world desperately wants something that's that real. The problem is what we're trying to sell isn't that real. Because that's not where we're at. We're at a place where where, where we want peace and quiet and just leave me alone. And we don't want the lines to be clear. We don't want that distinction out there. We don't we don't desire God so much that we want to tell somebody about Him, even if they don't want to hear. That. I love my wife enough to tell anybody that'll listen that she's my wife. And I love Christ enough to tell anybody who will listen that I love him too for what he's done. Look, if you have something real for which you're willing to live a life giving yourself away. People will want it. That if all you have is lip service, nobody wants any of that. We got lots of that. So God's word challenges us. Look inside yourself. What's there? Is it real? If it's not, it can be. We find our boldness 
our witness, the same place they did, at the foot of the cross. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for just an opportunity to open your word. To open up this book of joy that challenges us, God, to experience all the things that you have. But, but, I, but I have to change the way I think. I, 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 I become so focused on me that I lose the ability to care about someone else. I become so focused on me, I lose the vision of Christ in my life. Lord, forgive us. I want you more than I want any other thing. You say, if I'll change the way I think, you'll change the way I feel. Sometimes I feel disjointed and dissected and different pieces of me going in different directions. But I want to be unified in your spirit, in my desire for you, in my hunger for you. To know you, the only God. God, I pray that you might meet us here and that this time of worship and prayer as we we end this Mother's Day and we go on to celebrate our moms. God, I just pray, Lord, that we be real with ourself just for a moment. And if there is anything there, any issue that I need to confess and repent, Lord, that you would move by your spirit in this place and grant unto us repentance that we would change and turn. God, lead us to love you like Paul loved you. Lead us to love others like Paul loved others. Help us to see that Paul would say in his life, I've given you an example. Follow me as I follow Christ. May we be able to say the same thing. Follow me as I follow Christ. God, I pray for the witness of your church. She be strong. She be free that she would know she is loved to the uttermost. She would know not only did God love her enough to die for her, to save her, but he loves her enough to empower her. God, may we pray for one another as we go from this place, that we would live lives of equal weight. That we are who we say we are. And in it all, may you be glorified. May you be magnified. May we continue to bring glory to you by enjoying you. 
we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.